Warning. The podcast you are about to experience may contain content that isn't suitable for younger audiences. So, if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Well, we've warned you. Welcome to Villainology, a podcast revolving around our favorite personifications of humanity's darker side, and what truly makes them the scourge of their respective worlds. I am your host, Rob Mobley, and I hope you understand the sequence of 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. If not, just know that this episode will somehow end with us inside of a church. For those of you that are new here, the basic idea is that I present each guest an opportunity to discuss at length someone who is widely considered to be a villain, and to offer their own personal insight as to why they find them so intriguing. These opinions are totally subjective, and I find that hearing the thoughts of other people on someone you either love to hate or hate to love helps to better understand these characters as a whole. Our guest today is someone I met a few years ago at a theater mixer in New York, and if there's one thing that really convinced me that he was perfect for this podcast, it was his taste for great storytelling and character nuance. He's a filmmaker, a screenwriter, and newly sworn in member of the Town Council of Highlands, New Jersey, Councilman Kevin L. Martin. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Greatly appreciate it. First off, congratulations on such a successful campaign. What made you decide to take on this new political journey? I mean, in short, you know, Highlands is a very small town with roughly 5,000 people. And the good part about that is everyone's basically your neighbor. You get to know everyone very, very quickly. The town's only a square mile, maybe a, a, a one and a half square miles, and you get to know people. And over time, over the course of the time I've been here, about four, almost five years, you attend a town a town council meeting or a couple other things, and you start to listen to people. You become friends with them. You go through their stories. You know what they are. And before you know it, you realize there's this aspect you want to help. In this town's case, the town is has been around for almost 100 years, and it is moving forward. And a lot of my friends are older and it, I felt like it was leaving them behind. It, it kind of gave them that thought process of, oh, you're already old, you don't understand, without even actually listening to their issues. I started showing up at town council meetings, kind of voicing these things, and I got to a point, and then you hit that wall and go, well, how do I get over that wall? And I spoke to the mayor. The mayor was like, you know, I think there was that Gandhi quote of, how would you like to be the change you want to, that you want to be or want to see? And uh, asked me to run. Yeah, and I saw it as an opportunity kind of ran, you know, 100% as I do toward it. And it uh, turned out great, actually. Yeah, I mean, from what I understand, it, it was not just a successful win, but like very successful. I mean, you said yourself, you, I mean, you were very confident in your campaign. But yeah, I, I can't imagine just see how overwhelming that would have felt to see those returns come in and see just how much of an impact you had made on that community. Oh, uh, it was that election night, because, you know, it, it took them like a week of counting, but I was so far ahead on the on the first night that the second day, it, it was over. I was overwhelmed. There's a picture of me ugly crying with my future wife at my local <laughs> bar that I'm a block away from, just overwhelmed by the gap that it was like, I'm going to win this. Oh my God, I'm going to win this by a lot. And then the final total was, I think it was almost seven or 800 votes in a town in which about half the town voted and I got 63% of the vote and it was extraordinary. 
I was just overwhelmed by it. And, 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 you know, I've done, I think I've hit the ground running and done a, a lot of really good things already. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It makes me feel good about what's happening in the town and my part in it. And it all started because I just wanted to help my friends. And I think that's, <laughs> that's how, I think that might've been the most innocent way to ever walk into politics. Like, I just want to help my friends guys and then go from there. What do you look for in a good villain? So one of the big things is I'm a big fan of a cerebral villain. I, I don't need someone who has to blow up something or to, to signify he's a villain. I, I need a manipulator. You know what I mean? I need somebody who can walk you into your own trap or death or bad situation, but make you think, did I do this to myself? Like, I want to get mad at this guy, but did... Did I not see it? And I love that because now it's one character fighting himself, one character fighting what he thinks he is, and then the villain being the puppeteer who actually did it. It's also a way where a villain can kind of explain away his involvement. Like, he's like, I didn't make him do anything. You know, I just told him these things. He might have lied and he might have fudged the truth, but physically he doesn't do anything to make you do anything and i love that that master manipulator where you look back like uh the the kevin spacey movie with uh i, I don't know why it's uh, usual suspects where you just look back and you go holy crap you just been pulling the strings the entire time and you have these people doubting the things that they know within their own brain and that is what i want i want someone who blunt force trauma is like the last thing on, that's like desperation i'm just gonna talk you into whatever it is and that's what I mean. A real cerebral assassin type of deal. That's a perfect segue into my next question, which is, tell us, Kevin Martin, which villain have you chosen? Ben Linus. Tom, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Your plan killed seven of my people. But the ones that you failed to kill are now holding your friends. Jin, Saeed, Bernard. At gunpoint. And what's to stop me from snapping your neck? Come, unless you hear my voice, in one minute, shoot all three of them. Got it. Bring me the phone, Jack. Forty seconds. I'm getting them all off the island. All of them. Let me ask you something, Jack. Why do you want to leave the island? What is it that you so desperately want to get back to? You have no one. Your father's dead, your wife left you, moved on with another man. Can you just not wait to get back to the hospital? Get back to fixing things? It's 20 seconds now. Just get me the phone, Jack. No. 10 seconds. Bring me the phone. No. I'm not bluffing. I won't Five, do it! Four, three. No. So sorry, Jack. God, he is just one of the most sniveling characters. I, I I remember when you first said that this is who you wanted to talk about, and I feel like there was just this level of hatred, PTSD. Oh my God, it's 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 overwhelming for for people because, but that's like my favorite thing about him. People will name every villain, they'll name the Joker, name all this stuff, and then somewhere inside them they'll forget, and you go. 
oh, you know, Ben Linus? And they'll think about it and go, you know, the guy from Lost. Oh, oh, I hate that guy. He's like an earworm in your head, like a song that you forgot about. But once he's in your head, you start thinking of crazy, vile things that he walked people into. And all you can do is think, man, he's like well-mannered. He's impeccably mannered, but he's also a master manipulator. Like He'll just lie to you, but you'll know it's a lie, but you'll still do it. That's what it, that's what it is. It's it's a guy who outsmarts you by having the outsmarted part of what you think outsmarted. It's crazy. When you first watched the series, did you buy into Henry Gale's story, or were you suspicious from the jump? So I would say I I was I almost bought it at first, probably a little sooner than most. But he had me. He had me. I was like he was talking, and I was uneasy. But and and progressively, I'm I'm a big rewatcher. Like I'll go and I might watch it for the first time. I'll watch it two or three more times. And in terms of that episode and go to the next one, I'm like, wow, I could have seen this and go, man, he really just got everyone. So he got me because I was genuinely like, all right, I'm kind of off, but there's too much going around. So you know what? I'm gonna forget about him. He's Henry Gale. And then when it all came together, you realize. That's masterful writing, one, where you've made people with brains in their head go, I know it's, it seems like I should look at him, but what about everything else? By the time you get through, oh, all this stuff was nothing, and he's just sitting there going, I know you know that. It's nothing, but here I am. And that, that for me was like, I'm like, holy crap. I think I watched that first season of Lost before the second season of Lost three times. Just to Ugh. just to justify it for myself, like, man, this was really good. I'm not dumb. I just they just wrote me right into another direction. What do you think motivates him as a character? I think that's the other part I like about these types of villains. Like, there's people who do it for money. That's a normal thing. It's actually almost cliche at this point. There are things things who want people who are doing it for people that they love, which was part of his reasoning of doing some of these things. But with Ben Linus, it was a mixture of because he could, but also because of the power of being able to say he could and do these things. Sure, there was an you know an, an all-encompassing goal, but I think the majority of why he did it is because he could do it and he was very good at doing it. And if he happens to benefit from it and get something out of it, that's a bonus to his ego. There's a there's a measure of ego in which you have to have that when you're you show your you can manipulate you can also be a bit of a sociopath but also feel like you should be well mannered enough to not freak anybody out but realistically if they knew the stuff you were doing they'd be freaked out you have you have to have that thing inside you that is doing it purely for ego and then all of the other stuff is a bonus that is. Like, they made a list, and he was, like, the 23rd or 24th best villain in TV of all time. And I was like, that makes no sense. Because the people above him, maybe one or two, had that type of inception-level thinking of going a box and a box and a box. By the time you get to that last box, you go, oh, my God, I'm trapped in the bigger box now. And he's just sitting there laughing at me. And that, that I think his motivation was so much for himself. And everything else that was either tangible, financial, or whatever, was a benefit but a bonus. And I think that was his motivation. You brought up some some people that do it for greed, some for, for money and whatnot. 
he wasn't the only antagonist we saw yeah. on this show. Uh, we we saw people like Charles Widmore, and we saw Martin Keeney, and all of these really dastardly people that clearly had their own separate motivations. But what separates him from those kind of characters? What makes him just that much more cunning? Because he, you know, the strange thing is, and I, and I think about it sometimes, especially when I rewatch it, somehow after the Henry Gale thing, and after all these things having his, his own agenda, they really underestimated him. Like, think about that. Think about how crazy it is. It's like if you walk into a place and there's someone robbing the bank and you walk in and you do your transactions like nothing's wrong and you leave. He's still he's still holding the gun. He's still robbing the bank, but you ignore him. He's clearly dangerous. And I think with Whitmore... And Kimi, these guys just didn't think anything of him. And it, and that's kind of a, a, there's a masculinity thing to that where men with money, men with physical or, you know, proverbial power, think a guy who seems meek, who looks meek, who sounds meek, whose history probably promotes that meekness is not a threat. But throughout history of the world, some of the most dangerous people on the planet are people that you were just thinking, unassuming, they have a grudge, they have an axe to grind with somebody, they might speak super softly and, and do a couple of things, but then all of a sudden, they're marauding all over the world, destroying things. And you're and all you can do is sit there and go, I didn't see it coming. Yes, you did. You just thought so little of him because he didn't match the masculinity stereotype of, I'm a big guy with a gun, or I'm a guy with a lot of money. Well, I'm a guy with a brain, and I'm going to take all of this, and you're not going to even realize you're going to give it to me. That, right there, that is that is who he is. You're going to you're going to hand me this stuff, and then you're going to look back and go, "That guy robbed me blind. How did I not see it coming?" Because you underestimated him, and I think that's that's the thing. He he manages to take that underestimation and turn it into his own power. You know, that's who he is. Fine. I'm a genius. You don't care? Okay. Well, I've already done this. You don't think that's a big deal? Cool. Give me your money. I don't know how I'm going to do that. I have your money. How did you do that? Like, it's like, <laughs> and it's such an intricate way to live and to do it calmly until, you know, his daughter, you know, until his daughter got killed and stuff like that. To do it calmly for so long, even when it looks like he's messed up. Somehow he's, he hasn't messed up. Somehow he's right on top of the game. And that's what makes him different. He's like, I think you had aspects of someone, you know, what's name was more of a Lex Luthor type of thing. And then him, he was just like, you would look at him and go, all right, yeah, forget that. But Lex Luthor was always a guy who shot himself in the foot because he underestimated the ability of other people to do what he does with less and with less ego. He was all those guys. I think he was kind of an amalgamation of all, you know, Kimi and Martin and uh, an amalgamation of everything that they want to be without the ego of showing off. They're all masculine stereotypes, you know, unassuming guy. Everything that they make up for or compensate for, what he does, like Martin wasn't the smartest. He was cunning, but he wasn't smart. He was a, he was a grunt. You know, he knew what to do with guns. He did, you know, those guys had money and power. He could just buy whatever. Didn't take brains to do that for him. It took brains to get the money. But what he does with the money it doesn't matter. He can blow a million dollars. He's just going to make another million dollars and it's going to come back. It, it, there's no connection to it for him. But with Ben, Ben is all the things that they beat there that way. 
compensating for what Ben already has inside of him. And that's those are the people you have to watch out for. It's not the one you see yelling and screaming when they have money. It's the guy who's quietly worth a trillion dollars and says nothing. It's it's very clearly Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse's Moriarty. Oh, that is the only person on that list. And and I kind of go back and forth with a good friend of mine about who which Moriarty was better. Is it the uh, Benedict Cumberbatch Moriarty or uh, the Robert Downey Jr.? I, I feel like Ben Linus, I would pay top dollar to see Ben Linus go at Jim Moriarty. Just to just, like, that would be insane. Andrew Scott was deadly but cunning but so smart and he was like at the level of what he's what Sherlock Holmes would be on a bad day honestly whereas Ben Linus there was no one in that show that was his foil without having to come together as a group it took a group of people to do what Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty would dance with all the time and that's what made Ben Linus so prevalent so crazy smart and cunning because the the amassed brain power of all these people in this show were still not enough to get him until near the end. But it was because he changed himself. He decided he was kind of done being in this way in a full way. And I would love to see that. I would just, just Moriarty versus Linus. You would have to make a book, a series. It would be, it would just be like nosebleed worthy Inception meets Tenet. It would be just like, wow. And I, I think that's what it is. He, that's the, Moriarty and him are, the, are my top two. And if anyone else is, is I feel, cliche to say. I, I think it's a fair assessment. You brought up earlier Alex. Do you think he ever truly cared about her? My quick answer is yes. My long answer, knowing the show, is he cared about her until she became a piece in which hurt him. I think one of the things that Ben Linus did not have was many weaknesses in terms of you can piss him off. He's just going to, he's already got this planned out. He actually made the speech after, you know, when she got shot, but she, he said it and he probably did care. And then he said, you know, I think he's, what was the line? He said, you crossed the line or you broke the rules. You broke the rules. He told him you broke the rules when you killed his daughter. And realistically, I think that he cared for her. But just to have the gloves come off in a specific way, I think that's all it was. She was the the Hoover Dam to the River of Rage behind him. I think that was a thing that kept him human. Because I think that's what happens to a lot of these, these villains. The problem is, not problem, but the thing is, a lot of them have that one element, whatever that might be, that keeps them or makes them human. And then once they lose that element, it's a wrap. And the best way you can actually see that is any version uh, well, the Joaquin Phoenix version and the Heath Ledger version of the Joker. They are, there's no humanity to them. They're chaos. There's nothing tethering them to this planet. They do what they do. And the only reason why it doesn't go further is because they don't want it to get that point. And, and honestly, realistically, the thing that tethers them is this weird infatuation and love for Batman. Batman was, is a Joker's. Like okay, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna do something. I might kill a hundred people, but I'm not gonna kill a thousand people. I might just do that to get his attention. But if the bat's gone and he gets all of Gotham, he'll the Joker would probably kill himself. There's nothing for him to do this for anymore. 
Whereas with Ben Linus and his daughter, she was the line. She was always going to be the line. You could have killed anyone around him. She was the line because that at least made him feel like he might have been a normal father, like he might have been a normal human being, might like he could eventually be a normal father or be eventually a normal human being. Once she was gone, the excuse to even hold back was over because he's got nothing left to give. Who's who's he fighting for now? Who's he at least lying to himself about fighting for? And you know, realistically, I don't think he truly cared. I just think she was the one thing that made him feel like a normal person for doing the things he did, for manipulating people, for lying to them, because he thinks he's doing it for the sake of his daughter, for the sake of his this, this, or some other BS reason. Realistically, the gloves are off now. Now he's going to do his absolute worst, because what does he have to lose? And I, But I genuinely don't think he ever really loved her he loved what she represented which was a person that he would never be able to be but lied to himself about i think he really manipulated himself into that too we got to take a moment and talk about the incredible work that michael emerson put into this role what is the legacy of his performance and of lost in general so i've gotten into two different debates mostly wrapped around how it ended you know them being in purgatory blah 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 which i thought and still think was blatantly obvious and the theories that wrap around it and stuff like that it's a mildly accidentally so but kind of really religious thing that they do that purgatory area the legacy of loss is like how i feel about the legacy of a show like a fringe these shows are high level high concept shows that probably took three to four pitches at networks for these the normal executives who don't think like myself and you going what is this bullshit you know, for lack of a better way of saying this. And, and we've all kind of sat in those rooms where you're talking about something, you know when it's a high concept thing, it just over their head. But this show will come to be more appreciated even more so over time because it was ahead of its time. It was well thought out. It was planned. Even when it looks like they really just maybe messed something up, it always circled back. They left a lot of unanswered questions, things that I will go down the lost Wikipedia rabbit hole just to find out and even, you know, challenge myself to do. As a show, I think it's one of the best shows to have come across in my generation of television, just because it wasn't your run-of-the-mill type of... It, it, it was the closest thing we can get to a Twin Peaks at our, at our current age. It's, it's the only, like, I watched old episodes of Twin Peaks and then the new stuff, and really, there's nothing the new stuff could do to get to the old stuff. That's not its fault. That, it, that was just... It's time. Twin Peaks was Twin Peaks. Lost is that with this generation. It is an enigma that's going to get brought back at some point in the next 10 years, and people are going to go have to go back and watch this and appreciate it. For Ben Linus, to me, 100%, I will debate this until I lose my voice, Ben Linus is the best television villain to be on TV because he is the opposite of every time you hear someone yell or scream about a villain. He is what Moriarty is to the English. He is our Moriarty. There's no one smarter. There's no one There's no one more cunning, manipulative, more of a pathological liar, more of a believer in his own lies. And to do it for basically no real reason makes him even more dangerous. So I think he is in my, I will debate it. And I, there, are, there are some people we can go back and forth on that I would literally sit on the show with the third person and we would go hours on this. But 
I think, without a doubt, he is one of the best, if not the best villain. That's his legacy. Michael Emerson, what he did to get into this role, from what I'm told, they kind of just let him do his thing. He, You can't replace him. If they were to reboot this, they could not. It's like how um, like Marvel does. Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark because he, he's not acting. That's who he is. These There are certain people who are these characters. When Ben Linus went to, I forgot the other show he had with John Caviezel, Person of Interest, watch the first two episodes of that and go, nope, he's still Ben Linus. That's who he is. His next show, I think he had another show in USA, still Ben Linus. And, you know, you don't want to get typecast, but at the same time, you couldn't bring anyone back and be like, all right, this is the new Ben Linus. Everyone's, I'm like, no, I'll never, you'll never get me to believe that. You couldn't even get someone to pretend to be that because of the time, the work, the patience, the attitude, the respect he must have had for that material. It was extraordinary. I, I truly don't think he got enough credit for that. Just like I don't think people give Jared Harris enough credit for being Moriarty and Andrew Scott specifically enough credit for being Moriarty. Those are hard roles. The English are on a different level of acting sometimes. You could put people in that Moriarty spot, and if they're good, they're good. I don't know if you have many people around us that we know at you know at the indie level or even at the high level that could pull that off on a television screen you know, week in and week out convincingly without giving it away. So I think Michael Emerson needs to get his flowers before, you know, their time, for sure. Final thoughts. What does Ben Linus mean to you personally? Ben Linus means to me that you can make it through this world without the lying part, but using using your brain. You don't have to be the strongest person. I'm a very, very, very tall man. I'm 6'11". I'm a big guy. There's an expectation of who I am because of that, because I play basketball, all this other stuff. So it's always a surprise when I do something outside of that, at least it was. And I kind of feel the fact that, you know, all right, he's this way. I'm going to underestimate what he can do. And then you turn around and go, oh, my God, when did you start doing that? What do you mean? I've been doing this my whole life. Like, what are you talking about? And that I've taken advantage of. So I've always gravitated to Ben Linus in terms of how he made people have to look back and go, how'd you do that? Then I have to go through the whole line of, oh, wait, he did this, he did this, he did, oh my God, I didn't even know he was doing this. I didn't know you could do this. And by the time they realize it, he's already in control. My greatest joke I say, I've said on stage a bunch of times is, I'm always going to be the troll at the other side of the bridge. And what I mean is, I would never burn a bridge. You had to work really hard. You could say, you can do a lot of things to me, but my work ethic, the way I think, the, how important relationships are to me, how I work with people as a person, will always put me in a position of power to be somewhere where you need where you need to go. So like, it's like, if you do something wrong to me, I'm like, all right, cool. You know, as long as you don't physically touch me, I'm good. But the thing is, I work really hard at what I do. So by the time you get to the level I was, you went, oh, here's that bridge again. I'm back at the bridge. Like, remember me? And that's what Ben Linus is. Like, I forgot about him. I thought he was Henry Gale. What do you mean he's on the other side of this bridge? He owns the bridge. What the hell happened? And that's what he presents to me. Personally, he presents that whatever you are physically is not as important as what you are mentally. You can be the biggest guy. You can be the smallest guy. But if you're the smartest guy in the room... You kind of already won, and if they underestimate that, you definitely win, for sure. And uh, I think that's for me, in, in my heart, is why I always 
I kind of wish they would kind of extend out his story in some which way. I've, I've read some decent fan fiction about it, but uh, it's why he sticks to me all the time. It's just, it's that underestimation, the intelligence and the work ethic to pull it off. He does it in a more illegal, evil-ish way. I don't do it that way, but you, you get the, you get the message on that. Kevin, thank you so much for being on the show. This was such a treat to have you on. This is, this is awesome. I'm, I'm I'm glad to see it. Uh, you know, I know times are really weird right now, and it's always nice to see people be creative and do cool, cool shit, for lack of a better word. And this is like, you, you, I don't even think you felt how excited I was when you're like, "Hey, you want to?" Hell yes! This is what I do. This is what I write. So this is awesome. I mean, honestly, any help you can do, you know, need from for me to push this uh, consistently forward and make it happen, I am down. This is dope. That's very humbling to hear, like, truly. Thank you so much. Thank you to Ross Lamper for composing the theme song to this podcast. He's a brilliant dude. And if you're in the market for any music production needs, head on over to his website at daggerandink.com. And thank you, listener, for carving out a little bit of time for us today. If you like the show, please consider following us on Facebook and Instagram at Villainology Podcast and on Twitter at Villainology Pod. I'm also now on Twitch about three times a week playing all sorts of games. Most recently, we've been jumping between Visage, Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine, and Batman the Telltale series. I'd love to hang out with you all, so please come follow me at Rob underscore Mobley. Feel free to give us a review if you like what we're doing, and drop us a comment on who you'd like to see discussed next. And hopefully we'll see you next time. Stay foolish, mortals. Ha 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 ha